welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. even tell you how excited I am to be here. I know I talk funny. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. So I actually brought a little interpretive video. So if you don't understand the next few minutes, you'll understand these three. So if you have popcorn in your purse or your wallet, pull that out, lean back. You've got a little short video before we dive into God's text. So turn your attention to the screen. In April 2012, I jumped off a proverbial cliff and into the greatest adventure and joy of my life. I began the process of adopting my little girl, Melissa Price Harper. I love you. Her first mama, Marie, died as a result of undiagnosed AIDS when Missy was just a baby, unwittingly infecting her with HIV, which was exacerbated by tuberculosis, severe malnutrition, and a host of other ailments. Doctors in Port-au-Prince didn't give Missy much of a chance, but then again, they didn't know my baby girl has the heart of a warrior. Our adoption process took two long years, but I finally got to bring her home to Tennessee on April 14, 2014, just a few days before Easter, which seemed especially fitting. And her name was Missy, and she was oh so wee, and her mama came to Haiti and said, that's my baby, brought her home to Tennessee, (laughs) yeah. Every single day since has been better than the one before. By the grace of God and great medical care, Missy's health is now excellent. Her HIV is completely undetectable and her lungs have no scars from the tuberculosis she suffered from as a toddler. She even has killer abs, which is really the only dead giveaway. She's not my biological child. We're surrounded by an incredible community of friends and family. Missy has more doting aunts and uncles than just about any kid I know. Plus, we've had the joy of getting to go back to the village she's from in Haiti and share the love of Christ with her extended family members. Psalm 68 declares that God is a father to the fatherless, a husband to the husbandless, and he places the lonely in families. That's definitely our story. And I plan on praising him over it for the rest of my life. Yeah, baby. That's a lot of kisses. <laughs> I did kiss you a lot, didn't I? Yes, ma'am. Did it, did it bug you? A little bit. It bugged you that I kissed you? Yes, No ma'am. way, no way. <laughs> I'm coming. Kiss monster is coming. I'm coming after you. <laughs> hey, do you know why I kiss you? Why? Why do you think? Because I lo- you love me. How much do you think I love you? More than the whole world. Yep, 
About that much? This even much. wider. This even much. wider. No way. This much. No way. This much. No way. This much. More. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pastor, Pastor, oh, thank God. Thank you. thank you. Pastor Brandon said it was okay. Oh, y'all are so sweet. Pat, these are cousins. Um, Pastor Brandon said I could bring some show and tell. So I brought my little girl. And do you want to say something before you go sit down? Mm-hmm. What do you want to say? Hey, y'all. <laughs> She's Southern by way of Haiti. Do you want to say anything else? Make it quick. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians, 522 and 22. Score. Score. <laughs> Y'all have no idea what a risk that was because sometimes she sings Shake Your Booty and then it just kind of ruins the rest of the worship service. I wanted to bring her up as show and tell because I wanted to show you a tangible miracle. And any kid is a miracle. I feel like my kid is kind of a double miracle because I was dumb as a rock when I was younger and dated really abusive men. And the few good Minnesota guys I dated actually did date one Minnesota guy who liked corn, by the way. Um, <laughs> God protected them from me because I was just, just thick as a brick. And I don't mean that in the Commodores kind of way. I was just foolish. And so by the time I was 50, I had not married, didn't have kids. And the fact that God restored those years that I just served up to locust on a platter just still undoes me. I can't quite believe I brought Missy home the year I turned 50. She is quite literally a miracle of restoration to me. And I feel like some of y'all are waiting for miracles and God is encouraging us to move. If you want a miracle, there's got to be movement. If I'd gotten a phone call six and a half year, years ago about adopting Missy and I said, yes, I'm willing to sign me up. And then I never did anything. I wouldn't have her with me tonight. It took two years of moving. I've been keeping up with what Pastor Rob has been preaching on. And I want to camp out on something he taught when he was teaching about Jesus in the 70, loving the 70. And he said, our faith works. In other words, we don't just marinate in the love of Christ and keep ourselves in a little crock pot with our family. If you begin to get the love that Jesus has lavished on us as his followers, as his beloved, it will compel you to reach out to the world around you. Love is a verb, y'all. Our, our orthodoxy, what we believe to be true of God, has to be shown, there has to be an outflow in orthopraxy, the way we order our lives, the way we impact culture. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. I love, love, love Mark's gospel. It's the shortest of the gospels. When it was canonized, it was listed second, but it was actually written first. It's the very first recording, literary recording of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And do y'all remember who wrote it? Y'all can talk back, I'm not officially a pastor. Mark, the gospel according to Mark. Do y'all remember who the narrative voice was? Because you remember the gospels had to be eyewitness accounts. So those first four books at the beginning of our New Testament, they're called gospels, comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means the good news. They all had to be eyewitness accounts. And Mark was not one of the original 12. 
So he typed it on his iPad at, at Caribou, but somebody else was walking back and forth in front of him, telling him the stories in oral form, oral tradition. Do you remember who that voice was? Peter. Peter is the narrative voice, kind of the theme of Mark's gospel, this very first literary account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And if you remember Peter's story, y'all, he was a train wreck. That's why he's my favorite of the 12. He knew what it was to fail with flying colors. You remember he threw Jesus under the bus. Jesus' greatest point of incarnate need, Pete threw him under the bus, vehemently and vulgarly denied him three times. But instead of kicking him off the team, Jesus said, Peter, I'm actually gonna name you team captain. He restored him. He said, I'm gonna build the New Testament church on your shoulders, but Pete, you're gonna have to act. You don't just get to go to promise keepers and then sit in your faith. You're gonna be sent to culture. Now, this story we're gonna look at in Mark chapter 10, it's kind of right in the middle of these two themes of Mark's gospel. The whole first half of Mark's gospel is what y'all been talking about the whole summer, it's love. It's all about the compassion of Christ. The word compassion in our New Testaments comes from the Greek word splognitsomai. That sounds just vaguely familiar. It's the word we get the English word spleen from, splogna. Splognitsomai means from the gut. So when you read about the compassion of Christ in Mark's gospel, it's not talking about a hallmark superficial kind of compassion. Talking about this visceral gut level compassion. So as y'all are beginning to respond to what pastor's been teaching on about the love of Christ, I hope you're beginning to get the depth of the love of Christ. It's not just a corporate compassion, y'all. It is this deep, personal affection. He's not a far away redeemer and he's not a unibrow librarian. I used to think that's who God was when I was a kid. I thought he had like this 50 pound Bible. And if I stepped out of line, which I did often, he was gonna whack me over the head. So I got his holiness. I didn't get his tenderness when I was younger. I knew he saved me. I didn't think he delighted in me. That was just, that was just a pipe dream to me. When we really begin to get even a little bit, the compassion, the gut level, the visceral tenderness God has for us personally, it will compel us to move. First half of Mark's gospel is all about the compassion of Christ. The second half is all about the passion of the Christ. And we're not talking about an elevated emotional state. Jesus hadn't had one too many espressos here. The passion of the Christ in biblical context is talking about how resolute Jesus was about the cross. He embraced sinners and he turned toward Jerusalem knowing full well he was walking toward his own murder and he did it with passion. He said, you are worth dying for. I love you so much that I'm passionate about heading to Easter to lay my life down for you because I know that's the only way you can be reconciled into a right relationship with God the Father. So we're right at the turn, right? Kind of at this transition in Mark's good news. And it begins with this story in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, Mark and Peter talking about Jesus and the 12. And as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. If y'all are comfortable writing in your Bibles or, or scribbling on your iPads, go ahead and underscore that. He was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I saw two people sleeping. 
And, and many rebuked him. Again, if you're comfortable writing your Bibles, I want you to underscore or circle that word. We'll come back for it in a minute. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But Bart cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And if you haven't highlighted anything yet, highlight and Jesus stopped. Probably the most significant phrase in this whole chapter. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now to get this in context, Jesus has just made the turn. He's heading to Jerusalem. They make this last pit stop in this little bitty two-bit town called Jericho. It's not nearly as impressive as Jerusalem. There's no Mall of America. There, there, there's no caribou. There, there's really not a whole lot. Let's just call it Ely. I mean, it's just this small, <laughs> little town on the way. I've been there and canoed there. It's beautiful. There's this small little town on the way to Jerusalem. It's, it's the very last R&R for Jesus. Now, if you knew, and this is a bit heretical, but hang with me for just a second. If you knew for sure you were headed toward your very own death, and it was going to be a painful, shameful, humiliating death, and you had one last pit stop, one last moment, just a little bit of me time. What would y'all do? I mean, you know, the end is right around the corner. What are you going to do? I mean, after you hug all your family and tell everybody you love them so much, what are you going to do? I'm going to bathe in chips and queso. I mean, I'm going to order so much chips and queso. It's going to make you sick. I'm going to eat like there was no tomorrow because I am so sick of keto. I could punch somebody in the throat. I mean, I'm just going to gorge on carbs. I'm going to get a massage. I'm not just going to have one person rubbing on me. I'm going to like five people rubbing on me. I'm single. I need a lot of rubbing. I'm just going to be like, go, go to town. Just rub on me. I mean, I'm going to really indulge in me if I know I'm headed toward my own murder. Y'all, Jesus is not like us. I love that that was said in worship, proclaimed. He's not a better version of us. He's altogether different. And he's just given us a hint at his character, the verse before this story when he said, the son of man didn't come to be served. I didn't come to get filet and massages. I didn't come for your accolades. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. He's in this two-bit town. Human logic would say he should have been taking a nap or getting a massage, but instead, instead, he attracts this crowd. He's always others-oriented. He attracts this crowd, and amongst that crowd, most of them didn't believe, y'all. At this time in his life and ministry, crowds gathered everywhere he went, but they didn't gather because they believed he was the Messiah. They gathered because they had gotten a Facebook forward or they had seen him on JNN, the Jerusalem News Network, and they knew everywhere he went, as Pastor Lai just said, captives were set free and blind people could, could see. So they wanted to see what kind of miracles he would perform. He was kind of a sideshow at this point for many Jews. So they gathered to see what's gonna happen. They brought their phones. They wanted to put it on their Instagram feed. 
I mean, like, this is going to be cool, whatever he does. My cousin said somebody who was lame was doing cartwheels after Jesus left their town. So a crowd has gathered. And there's this man in the crowd who's not accepted by the crowd. Because according to Mosaic law, Levitical law, if you had an ongoing disease and blindness would be included in that, it was assumed you had unconfessed sin, which means you're ceremonially unclean. So Bart is at the back of the crowd. He's not really supposed to be congregating with well people. He's ostracized. He hears, obviously he can't see. He hears that Jesus is passing through and that's when Bart starts to bellow. And he just hollers out, son of David, have mercy on me. Anybody wanna share why it's so significant that he called Jesus the son of David? Young talk back. It's a, it's a confession of faith because according to the prophecies, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one is gonna come through the lineage of King David. So for him to holler that Jesus was the son of David, it wasn't just this normal kind of bellow for help. He was saying, I know if there's any chance at me regaining my sight, it lies with you because I believe you are the son of God, son of David. Now, when Bart begins to bellow, the crowd responds immediately. And you know what the crowd does? Because they're like us. You know, they're religious people. They go, oh, let's, let's let him move forward. Let's bring him to the front, right? No. The crowd rebukes him. And y'all, that word is so much stronger in the Greek. We read it rebuke in our English translations, but the original word there is epitomio. How many of you are mamas, aunties, or grandmamas? Okay, um, you have epitomioed, possibly even today, you epitomioed. I do it sometimes when I'm in the car and Missy asks the same thing incessantly. And after I say, baby, don't do that again, don't do that again, don't do that again, then sometimes I look in the rear view mirror to make sure that I'm aiming correctly and I, I reach back like that. And then I say, if you keep fussing, I'm gonna give you something to fuss about. Have y'all ever done that? <laughs> That's epitomio. Epitomio means literally to, to counsel or to command with the implication of a threat. And usually mamas, when they get to the very end of their rope, do that. If you don't stop whining, I'm gonna give you something to whine about. It's not just a threat, it's a threat with an implication of possibly even harm. So they didn't just shh, Bartimaeus. Sorry, I'm a spitter and I think I just baptized you. They didn't just shush. Bartimaeus, they said, if you don't shut up, we will shut you up. It's actually almost a violent threat. And how does he respond, y'all? It's amazing how he responds in light of his aloneness because of his condition. He cries out all the more. He says, y'all can kiss my big fat toe. He says, I'm gonna just keep on hollering. And he keeps hollering. Possible personal pain is gonna follow that. And he's like, I don't care. There's any shot at me getting healed. I'm gonna keep on going. I'm gonna keep on yelling. And some of y'all can just leave because that's actually the word you need. You are looking for a miracle and God's saying, move baby. You need to get up if you want to experience what you've been praying about. It's time for you to get off the curb. He keeps yelling, the people are mad, and Jesus, the way he responds is miraculous, y'all. The compassion of Christ in this moment, he says, call him. Now remember the context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
He's on his way to the cross. She realized what he does here. He puts Easter on pause. He says this one man who no one else will embrace, who no one else will accept, who people are rebuking, this one man is so significant to me that even though I know I'm headed to the cross, I'm gonna put that on pause and I'm gonna engage with this one man. Some of you came to church this afternoon and you thought if these people knew my backstory, they'd probably tell me to leave. I mean, they seem all friendly and Pentecostal, but if they really knew where I've been, they wouldn't welcome me in a place like this because there's no way Christians could welcome me, could accept me. Y'all, Jesus loves broken people. Perfection is not a prerequisite for relationship with, with Jesus. Actually, what is a prerequisite is to realize that you can't make it by yourself, is to realize I need the Messiah. Jesus is calling. And Bart moves to the front of the crowd, I'm sure to the chagrin of most of the people in the crowd. He moves to the front and Jesus asks him what I believe is the most poignant question in all of Mark's gospel. Jesus says, what do you need? What do you need? Now, can you imagine if we could see Jesus tonight? Scripture says, where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst of us. And some of y'all have been walking him with him long enough, you can feel the Holy Spirit, the presence of God when you're in the presence of other Christ followers. Jesus promises his presence, but can you imagine if we could see it visibly? If you just looked up and there he was, he's gonna be wearing a white robe, maybe that's what they wore during this time period with blue tassels, with blue cord, that was just to signify their devotion to the law of God. And he's gonna be wearing Birkenstocks and he's not blonde and pale like we paint him. He was Jewish, so he's got dark hair, olive complexion, most likely. But he's standing here, you can see him. And he looks at you and he looks at you with eyes that are filled with so much love, you can barely maintain his gaze. Because nobody's ever looked at you like that before with that much unconditional affection. And he asks you one question. What do you need? What do you need? Bartimaeus says, Jesus, I need to see my boy round third. I've been watching him play ball since he was itty bitty. He started with T-ball when he was four years old and I've watched every single game through my ears. I've heard his back connect with the ball so many times, Lord. My boy's good. He bats fourth now that he's nine. He's really good, but I've, I've never seen my son round third. I'd like to see my boy score, Jesus. Jesus, I'd, I'd like to see my wife smile again. You know, that's how I fell for I was sitting in a caribou working on a paper and, and the, the doorbell went ding when she opened it. And I turned to see who had walked in and when I did this perfection walked in the door and she grinned from ear to ear when our eyes met and I thought that's the girl I'm gonna marry. Jesus, I love my wife's smile, but I, 
I haven't seen it since I fell blind three years after we got married. I'd, I'd love to see my wife smile again. And in that moment, it says Jesus heals him. Immediately, Mark and Pete tell us the blind man, Bartimaeus, could see again. And that could be the very end of the story, you know? And it'd be a great exclamation point to this story. The compassion of Christ compelled him to stop, to engage with this man no one else would have conversation with and Jesus heals him. That's a phenomenal story, but that's not even the best part. The best part is the next verse because it says Bartimaeus went from sitting on the curb basically just observing life, to following Jesus along the way. He got up and he moved. You know, before we were called Christians, we were called followers of the way. Do you know that Bartimaeus is counted among that very small number of people who sat there at the foot of the cross and grieved the death of Jesus Christ, the bodily death of Jesus Christ. Do you know Bart is named in historical documents, if you read Josephus, as being among that small number of Christ followers who started the early church we read about in the book of Acts. So he went from sitting and then he experienced Jesus to moving, to following Jesus wherever he went. Y'all, love is a verb. And sometimes we are so comfortable coming to church and raising our hands in worship and even listening to worship on the way to work, but it's like, that's where it stops. If we actually have tasted the love of Christ, it has to compel us to move. I was on a plane recently and I get sick of flying. I take almost 250 flights a year. And I don't know if you've flown recently, but the FAA has reconfigured the seats and they're almost exactly the size of a supermodel's rear end now. <laughs> and I'm wearing a tunic, so you may not have noticed, but mine is just a titch wider. And so I always feel smushed and I can't see it, but I'm convinced there's a tattoo on my forehead that says, please, if you're a very, very large man with very, very bad hygiene and you like to hog the armrest, please sit right next to me because it happens almost every time. So I've developed this kind of frequent flyer survival strategy and I try to always sit in bulkhead or exit row. I try to sit in the aisle so I can lean out. And even before we're allowed to turn the music on, I have earbuds in my ears. I do not want to share the four spiritual laws. I want to sit there and be selfish and read People magazine. And so I was in that, I know it's sinful, but I like it on planes. So anyway, I'm, I'm sitting in that seat, bulkhead seat on a flight recently from Nashville to Atlanta. And the middle seat was open and I was like, score. And they announced that they're just about to close the boarding door. And I thought, this is awesome because there's one seat left on the plane and it's between me and this guy in the window reading the Wall Street Journal. So I'm gonna have a little room. I'm not gonna have somebody smushed right up next to me. And right before I started to thank God for this precious gift, this girl comes running on the plane, very last person on the plane. And I can see, I'm watching her come through first class and I could tell from 20 feet, she was a talker. And I thought, ugh. I do not feel like talking. I just want to be quiet. I don't want to make small talk. And so I thought when she gets to me, I knew she was sitting beside me because it was the only seat left on the plane. I thought when she gets to me, I'm not going to make eye contact because I'm old. And I've learned if you don't make eye contact with young women, they've got no place to go. So she came, puts her stuff in the overhead and I could tell she was like trying to get me to look at her. And I thought, baby, I'm older and wiser. So I was, I was Christian-y, you know, I kind of nodded and was kind of polite, but I would not make eye contact. 
But then a flight attendant came and took our orders and both of us at the same time said ginger ale. And there was just something about that that just awoke my estrogen. And I turned and made eye contact. And when I did, she went, hey, I'm Heather. And I was like, of course you are. Um, Because thin blondes always have happy names. And so we started to talk, mostly her talking, me listening. And after about 15 minutes, the pilot came on and said, we were about to land in Atlanta, so it's time to put our tray tables and everything away. And after he went off the PA, Heather turned toward me and she just got this real sober look on her face. And she said, Lisa, may I ask you a serious question? And I said, well, sure you can, Heather. She said, are you a Christian? And I said, I am. And y'all, the look of disappointment that crossed her face was so compelling that I real quickly added, but, but not that well, not that well, I'm not that deep. And, um, and so she started witnessing to me the whole rest of the flight till we landed in Atlanta. She talked to me about the importance of prayer, about really getting to know Jesus through prayer. She talked about the importance of the word that if I would really begin to marinate in this love story, it would change my life. We get to Atlanta and she said, Lisa, do you mind if I pray for you? before we go our separate ways. She didn't know I was there to speak at a Christian women's conference. And I said, I would love for you to pray for me. She laid hands on me and y'all, we went to church in the gate area of Atlanta and Heather just prayed heaven down on me. And I got so tickled. She has no idea what I do for a living, uh, has and probably wouldn't care if she did. But when she walked away, I thought, Jesus, I so needed that. (laughs) Today, I really needed somebody to slosh that kind of tangible grace on me. I needed somebody to remind me of who you are, of what a miracle it is that I can come to you and I don't have to come with the blood of goats or sheep. I can speak one word and you incline your ear to listen to me. Y'all, we are called to be Heathers. We're called once we have received the love of Christ to reflect that in culture around us. It's time for us to get off the curb. It's time for us to follow him no matter where he says to go. I encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, 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 remind us of what Pastor Rob said, that we are not just to be hearers of the word, but we're supposed to be doers. Our, Our faith works. Lord, some of us immediately have people who come to mind that we love or we work with, we rub shoulders with, and they don't yet know you. Father, I pray that in this moment through your spirit, you would compel us to move forward, to extend some measure of the grace that we have received from you with the world around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you stopped for us. Thank you, Jesus, that your compassion for us has radically changed our lives. Help us to impact other people because of the love that you've loved us with. Thank you for reminding us that while we were still sinners, you loved us. So Lord, compel us to run toward the sinners you allow us to love. We ask this by your name, Jesus, and for your glory. And all of God's people said.